Hello and welcome to our At Any Rate Emerging Market Focus podcast, a place for us to discuss recent developments and key issues of focus in the emerging market fixed income asset class. I'm Johnny Golden from the Emerging Market Strategy Team here at JP Morgan, and I'm joined by Saad Siddiqui, also from our Emerging Market Strategy Team. Hi, Saad. Thanks for joining. Hi, Johnny. Good to be here. So the positive tone in markets in general over the last week has seemed to continue, but actually gains have been slowing a bit given the extent of moves and, and current levels reached. Uh, we had a benign Fed yesterday. Activity data continues to look weaker outside of the US than within it. We've had weaker European PMIs again, but the US data has generally been a combination of resilient on the growth side. We've just had Q2 GDP, durable goods, which which look pretty pretty rosy, while at the same time, actually, this combination of inflation, which looks like it is easing, even though labor markets are still not weakening. So uh, I guess markets are still raising the odds of a, a soft landing, um, which seems to make sense at this point. For EM, when you look at it, we've had credit spreads are just a few basis points tighter in the last week. EMFX is flattish against the dollar and local bond yields are a couple of basis points higher, even though you've seen a bit more of a move uh, in US yields, although nothing which you would really uh, write home about. Um, I guess given that the positive mood, the lack of these additional gains is probably uh, something to do with the extent of the move we've seen so far and the levels we're reaching, but also there's some summer markets and positioning and many of these trades are probably have some positioning behind them although they don't seem overowned necessarily but when you look at the country level this week we have had some gappy moves which look a bit exacerbated by some of these consensus positions such as you know cny and and czar rallying which maybe have something to do with positioning as well generally we've kept a more positive stance on em local markets uh, and uh, more neutral on the em credit side um, but Saad, let's talk about some of the developments and what they mean uh, for our markets uh, let's start with rates really we've just come through the uh, major DM rates decision cycle for both the Fed and ECB, who both hiked exactly as expected. Um, and uh, with guidance, you know, forward guidance now really uh, becoming um, quite data dependent here. So what do you think the implications are for emerging markets? Are there, you know, is this an important rate cycle in, in DM for us and, and how this impacts our, our thoughts about EM rates markets? So we've expressed a bullish view on both local bonds and FX. Uh, we discussed last week that for local bonds, uh, we are basically transitioning from being very bullish earlier to a bit more of a normal bullish. And as rates rallied, the right thing to do would probably be to kind of gradually reduce that uh, bullish exposure over time. Now, both the Fed and the ECB this week were pretty much as expected. So the fact that they both hiked was not a surprise. So it was really all about the future messaging. That was the important component of both these meetings. And both, I think, were a little bit on the dovish side. There was a lot of data dependence um, that was expressed. No strong indication that further hikes are a foregone conclusion. 
Um, I guess the ECB went a little bit further in that direction, judging from uh, market uh, reaction. And, you know, the markets have taken a cheer from that. You can see how risky assets, for example, you know, like equities um, have been performing. And then today we had a decent set of second quarter uh, U.S. Uh, GDP data, which suggesting, you know, a bit stronger growth, a bit softer on inflation. So um, I think I would concur that this does all but, you know, seal the case against imminent recession concerns and, you know, the market raises its odds of soft landing, all else equal, that is good uh, for risky assets. You know, I don't think anything really changes all that much on our rates views on the back of the decisions that we've had today. There have been no uh, major surprises uh, this week as such. So, yeah, I think um, we can continue to expect some grinding lower in EM bond deals. I think it's right that the rally kind of slows down a bit and the right strategy would be to slowly um, uh, you know, take off those bullish duration positions as, as yields grind lower. Great. So let's deal with the other part then, which is EMFX markets. So this is a scenario which people asked us a lot about in our year ahead outlook back last November, December, which is, can you have a combination where the Fed is hiking and EM central banks are cutting, and what will that mean? So this week, we have Fed and ECB hiking. We have EM central banks. Hungary have already cut this week. Again, uh, Chile is forecast to, to, to do so tomorrow. You know, The question is, what does that mean for EM currencies? And I guess, why is that combination not causing more EMFX weakness? And maybe are you seeing some signs of it at least slowing down some of the rally we've seen when you look at the way half and CLP have been trading this week. Do you think that's behind some of their underperformance compared to some of the other currencies? So there's um, a bunch of factors to unpack here. One is the overall risk appetite for the market at large. You can see that in broader risky assets. You can see it in volatility, whether it's the VIX or EMFX vol. And now we're seeing actually global rates vol, if I proxy that using the move index, um, also looking like it's coming off. So um, I think that is an important driver, lower vol, lower risk premium that lifts all boats. And that to me seems um, you know, to be reasonably well entrenched and nothing to really shock it uh, imminently. So that's one important factor. Second is commodities prices and commodities exports. Of, uh, of of EMs. So commodities prices have held up really well. Uh, if you looked at just the PMIs, whether it's the PMI from China or the European PMIs, you would have thought that commodities prices should have been much lower, but actually they're doing pretty well. Uh, and that's an important factor that's holding up uh, EM balance of payments and EM currencies. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that despite China growth, uh, looking like it's been slowing down, Chinese imports of commodities are still going very strong. So that correlation between the China growth cycle and China imports has clearly weakened uh, to the benefit of EM commodity uh, exporters. And third, you know, we know that markets are forward-looking. So the hikes uh, or the cuts or the hikes in DM or the cuts in EM 
are we going beyond what the markets have already been pricing? And for the most part, I'd argue that we're not actually uh, exceeding what the market has been expecting or pricing. You know, we've only seen uh, a very small number of countries even begin the cutting cycles, and so far they have not been uh, a major surprise. I think to get more currency weakness or to change these things around, you need to shift these three factors, really. You need to have something happening for risk appetite to really shake it. Um, and the economic data right now is not suggesting that's going to happen imminently. Uh, or you need commodities prices to um, uh, to really soften significantly. And that probably means a change in kind of the behavior of kind of China, which is still importing at a pretty robust pace. Or three, you need EM central banks to think that, hey, our currencies are relatively stable. Inflation's coming down. Maybe we can start cutting more aggressively and front-loading those. Um, so I think because those things haven't been happening, that's why overall EMFX is, is holding in uh, reasonably well. So turning then to maybe some of the better performing currencies, BRL, MXN, we've had some positive ratings action on Brazil. For Mexico, you made the case this week that the MXN, the Mexican peso, is in a new era here. What, what's the argument behind that and, and what factors are you highlighting? Yeah, that's right. So I think both Brazil and Mexico are in that sweet spot of having high carry, relatively low and contained imbalances. They benefit a lot from the risk appetite elsewhere, and they haven't begun the cutting cycles yet. Their real rates are also uh, still incredibly high, if not getting higher. If you look at the kind of downside surprise we've had to inflation recently. Now, in Mexico's case, I think there is something additional going on beyond just the kind of usual uh, list of kind of short-term cyclical factors supporting the currency. Now, the clues have been around for some time. The Mexican peso, whether you look at it over a two-year, one-year, five-year, seven-year period, has been uh, the best performing EM currency in total return terms. Um, so there's something more going on there. It's not just the short-term factors. And what we argue in a report that we've published this week titled um, MXN, Not Your Padres Peso, is that this is a currency that while for the past two decades was considered to be uh, a high beta risk appetite proxy, a currency that because it was traded you know, 24-7, you could trade it in Asia hours or any other um, kind of time zone, you would use that to hedge macro risk, you would use that to hedge uh, your overall EM uh, portfolio. And that's what made it such a more such a high, a high volatile uh, currency. Now, what's changing now are three things for the Mexican case, which I think are structural in nature. The first is the secular rise of remittances. So remittances have doubled over the past five years. They've gone from $30 billion to over $60 billion annualized. And when we model it, we think that this can stay high, if not increase from current levels. And what we know about those economies that have high levels of remittances is that remittances are a stable and sticky form of balance of payments financing. They're much less cyclical, and they're not actually that, that sensitive to host labor market, host country labor market conditions as well. So this automatically dampens the volatility 
of Mexico's balance of payments. Historically, the single largest contributor to dollar inflows in Mexico was oil. And we know oil is incredibly volatile and now remittances comfortably are the largest uh, item uh, in the BOP. And in fact, they totally finance the entire trade deficit of the country as well. So that's a major shift. And I think that's permanent. The second is that the Mexican peso is no longer the most liquid currency in emerging markets. And it's not because it's lost liquidity. It's because other currencies, especially Asian currencies, have internationalized and they've gained in liquidity quite a lot. So the end result being that the peso no longer has to carry the burden of hedging an entire asset class. And that means you know, lower implied volatility, lower realized volatility structurally, and that translates into lower currency risk premium. And the third factor is uh, more in the future, not for now, but it's about the benefits, expected future benefits from nearshoring. Um, surveys that we look at suggest that that should be visible in the next two or three years. But I would highlight we are seeing some promising uh, indications already in the hard data. So if you look at FDI uh, going into those states uh, in the frontier of um, of this uh, kind of nearshoring narrative, Nuevo Leon, for example, uh, that is seeing a significant increase in FDI already. That's where some high-profile factories uh, have been announced. So there are some uh, initial positive signs. Um, the most of the benefits are still in the future and contingent on kind of the right policies being pursued. But that could, again, add another source of stable balance of payments financing, which would kind of reinforce the other two factors um, that I just mentioned. So, John, if we turn it around now and switch to Asia, we've seen a bit of a turnaround in CNY following the Politburo announcements this week. Um, how big of a change of policy do you perceive this to be? Um, or are we just seeing profit taking on what was a pretty well-owned consensus trade to be short uh, uh, CNY? Yeah, so maybe we'll start with the, the substance. So our economists generally are, are not seeing this as a significant change in the overall tone on macro policy. They do highlight there are some nuances here which are, are shifting around uh, the statement around housing and some of the emphasis on the importance of resolving the risks around local government debt problems. So um, maybe some nuances there, but probably not enough to explain uh, or, or to really cause a major shift. We have seen over the last couple of months, really since March, about a 6.5% move higher in dollar CNY. Um so you have had a real trending move, uh, you know, this week uh, after those announcements, we've seen actually, you know, a bit more of a, a, a pullback. But, you know, you look at the last couple of weeks, we've seen about 1% uh, of a pullback from that move. It looks at the moment mostly like profit taking on a well-subscribed to short. Um, and, you know, given the way, I think our economists are seeing that the policy stance here, it doesn't feel like the start of a major reversal. I think if you look at the overall underlying conditions, you have growth, which has been underperforming, uh, inflation, which is very low, manufacturing globally is weak, um, and to be uh, using CNY to fund other FX positions is generally a positive carry trade. 
so the forces which point to to you know some uh, um, you know further moves higher in dollar CNY uh, seem to still be in place, and and it doesn't feel like the authorities should really want to push back too much against that at the moment. Okay, thanks. And then finally on uh, credit, you know, we've seen a strong performance, uh, which drove EM sovereign credit spread tightening. Um, the distress part of of EM credit is that running out of steam uh, a bit. And more generally, how much scope is there for high yield or even IG to tighten further uh, from current levels? Does it require idiosyncratic forces from here or will global risk appetite uh, be enough to drive further spread tightening? Yeah, so in the last week, actually, you saw a little bit of the, the distressed triple C part of EM sovereigns uh, widening in spread terms, even as the index overall was uh marginally tightening um you know the distressed part of the market had seen some idiosyncratic positives over the last few months which we've been discussing uh in pod podcasts but there's also been a, a global market positive trend there and and i i think when you think about how much lower can spreads go in that distressed part of the market there is both an idiosyncratic component, really about where recovery rates will be, um, but there's also a global market conditions, and they actually interact with each other. So to say that they that one is completely idiosyncratic isn't, I think, quite right. We will talk when we think about uh, recovery rates. We will talk about exit yields. We will talk about market access, and all of that as markets become a bit better starts to look better. Um, and then there's also a you know a global market component in the hunt for for value or spread, and you know naturally people feel like they've got a bit more risk appetite when markets are rallying and and they're looking for those things. But I I think what we've seen in the last week is those two factors maybe bumping up against each other a bit. Um, there is the reality of recovery rates, and uh, you know global market conditions might be better, but at some point you know there is the the hard math of of debt restructurings, uh, and I think maybe just a bit of um, sort of position profit taking in some of those really on the margin in some of those you can see it's quite a big split as well the likes of a ukraine ethiopia pakistan zambia all actually a bit wider on the week tunisia argentina better so you know it's really a, quite a dispersed universe in terms of what we've been seeing um maybe to highlight one other i mean kenya's maybe a little bit more surprising in that sort of um zip code of the market Given we have challenging fundamentals anyway, and that's been reflected this week in a ratings outlook change to negative uh, from one of the rating agencies, but also we're seeing protests in the country, um, and yet spreads have been tightening. So that's uh, not entirely clear that that's being driven by fundamental factors. We would attribute that more to what is generally, I think, uh, one of the names which people have a more underweight view on. Uh, and so maybe it's just a bit of positioning dragging on that in thin summer markets, which actually causing spreads to tighten uh, against what we think probably should happen there, given the background of and the fundamentals of the country. And that brings us to the end of this JP Morgan at any rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast. Thanks, Yusad, for joining today. And thank you all for listening. And we hope to have you back again with us for the next one. 
This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on the 27th of July, 2023.